I felt from the Lord, and we'll begin here, and I don't know uh, how much we'll get through tonight, but I felt from the Lord uh, to touch on this topic, at least begin here on this uh, first session that we have together, and it's on uh, the subject of uh, just seeing the world through God's perspective. Every person in this room, you have a lens that you view reality through. And that lens is uh, defined by a great many things, culture, family, experiences that you have in your life. And I have learned working with people, by the way, there's something very interesting. In June, I stepped into my 20th year of full-time ministry. That's interesting. You guys are celebrating 20 years. I'm getting younger and younger, Bobby. So, so uh, I have learned that you can love Jesus, but if you think incorrectly, you can love Jesus and have perverse thinking, and so you'll never fully live out what God desires for your life. And so, uh, use an example, I don't know if I used this last year, but I was in uh, New York and I was teaching to these, uh, asked me to speak to these Latin American leaders, and they were from all over different South American countries, and uh, I believe, yeah, it was, it was before uh, uh, the election, Trump's second election. And I said, I touched a little bit on the subject. And I said, everyone in here has a way they view reality. And I said, let, let, me, just, let me just throw it out there. And I said, President Trump. And um, my translator, because she was translating into Spanish, uh, probably needed deliverance after I said that. And then... Uh, one of the uh, lead apostles there from the network jumped up and he was very excited. So they both loved Jesus, but they both saw the world a different way. My point is not to talk about Trump tonight, even though some people, anyway, that's a whole different subject. But um, <laughs> that's a whole, anyway, <laughs> it's very interesting. But my point in that is that uh, I, I want to talk to you about this concept tonight that defines, uh, it is the, the defining, in my opinion, and um, it is def the defining subject of scripture. And if you don't understand that correctly, it'll be very difficult to understand uh, how, uh, to understand fully how God wants to relate to you. And so uh, let me just make a few different points here too. And uh, scripture teaches, Proverbs 29 is it without a vision, the people perish. And that's not like, uh, like an intellectual vision. That's prophetic insight, God's people perish. And then he said, my people, Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. Again, that's revelation knowledge. And then John 16, new, I call it kind of the new, new, new Testament equivalent to that, that it's the Holy Spirit's job to tell us things to come. He wants to have us a, a, a vision of the future. But my point in articulating that biblical point tonight is this, that if you are not in line with God's primary vision for your life, you probably won't live that. And so uh, my first point tonight is that God's vision for your life is not to go to heaven. And it's, it's not a small distinction that I'm making tonight because 
if your primary goal or your life vision as a believer is to go to heaven, then you will make your choices based on a denominator or on a biblical line that God never drew for your life. And if you'll notice in scripture that Jesus never actually leads anyone in a sinner's prayer. What his focus was on you surrendering to the reality that he was bringing into the earth in that time. So his focus was surrender. And he actually never, never even, you never find one scriptural statement where it, he, he preaches to be born again. It's in a private conversation. Is it important to be born again so you don't misunderstand me? Absolutely, but it is not God's goal for your life. The goal of God is for you to be like him. And being like him, you go to heaven. Heaven is a consequence of becoming like him. If, if you make choices in your life, even as a believer of just, uh, you know, it's very interesting that the door into the kingdom of God is surrender. And how you live continually in the kingdom of God is through surrender. And there's a lot of people who have in their mind trusted God for the place they're going after they leave this earth, but they don't want to obey him at, uh, down here. Now, that's a little problem because the place that you're believing him to go, there's no one disobeying him. So if you think like that, you might not get there. Wow. <laughs> like, wait. You're like, I don't like the music here. We don't care. <laughs> I mean, there's no committee there. It's just not like America. You can't go down the road somewhere. All right, go to, you know, like, there's, there's two alternatives there. And everyone in heaven is obeying God. There's no disunity in heaven. So we make that point correctly. And, and we start out here in John, the third chapter, Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, and this is him, this conversation I referenced a moment ago, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. So we make this point that God's goal is for you to be like him. And when you become born again, one of, God, one of the great privileges of life is God wants you to begin to perceive the world around you like him. And it's possible to be born again, uh, but still not learn to correctly see like him. God desires for all men that they might be saved, and God makes it possible for all men to be saved. Yet salvation is not being accessed by everyone. And so our goal is to be like him. To be like him, you must think like him. When you think like him, you can act like him. To be born again is the greatest eternal privilege because it is the currency by which we can see from God's perspective. i say that again. To be born again is the greatest eternal privilege. Now that's something else that's really important. That... Uh, Eternity does not begin when you die. This is eternal life. This is also another lens thing is that every early apostle would understand this sort of, under, this worldview, understanding really what we're beginning tonight is talking about worldview. 
I'm not even saying it's completely wrong. I'm just saying the Apostle Paul would not know anything about leading someone in a prayer of salvation. What he understood is this, and this was their promise. Their promise was this, and you'll understand why it, hopefully in a moment, this is how they saw the world, that through Jesus, this promised Messiah had come. He was Yeshua the King. And when the King came, heaven would break into the current day that it was in right there, right now. And through surrender to this King Jesus, heaven has broken in now. The writer of Hebrews would later put it, the power of the age to come. So eternity has broken in here now. And, that, and in, this, in this eternal age of the kingdom, in eternity breaking in, it's not fully in, but it's now in this dimension, you can live completely different on the earth as though you are already in heaven and that your lifestyle invites people to what you're experiencing. And one of the characteristics of, of these believers, and, and they, they kind of got it from all sides. <laughs> Thank God for the early church because most of them were uh, Jews because this is what their promised Messiah. There, there, there are no accidents in God. God didn't arbitrarily choose Paul. Part of the reason he chooses him to write the New Testament is because he saw life from this perspective. Paul studied the law and in his ignorance, he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to do everything he could do to satisfy the law so that the Messiah would come. That's why he hated people who, who he thought were, were, were saying the Messiah had already come. That's why he says, that's why he says, he said, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And then he gets it. Oh, this is the Messiah. The age now, the age to come has now broken in. So he understood that. So the early church, the, you can thank them when I get to heaven because they got it from all ends because they continued to live practically as Jews who had received the Messiah. They didn't see themselves as converting to a new religion called Christianity. And so they're talking about this kingdom. The kingdom has come, you know. And, 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 and one of the marks of the community was, number one, that they, they, they helped the poor. And number two, they, were, they, were, uh, they, they only had uh, uh, intimacy or sexual relations with their spouse. And so they're talking about this coming kingdom. They're, going, they're still going to the synagogue and they're talking about this age to come. So the Jews, which was the majority of them who didn't receive Jesus as the Messiah, they're getting a little upset. They're like, we're gonna get banned from Rome if these guys keep talking about a kingdom. They're gonna think it's a political kingdom. And so they got it from the Jews who wanted to distinguish him. They got it from all ends because there was this peculiar community talking about the power of the age to come in this kingdom, but they were kind to people. So they didn't know what to do with them. But they faced this persecution and none of the persecution could stop the influence of God in the earth. So, stop there for a minute. Our lives are forever defined by our perspective. It's only in seeing correctly that we can believe correctly. And the reason I say this is because we can only represent that which has been the emphasis of our faith and experience. And this is why I somewhat we're talking about this topic because if, if we are never usually taught something and ingrained with something, it will probably not be the emphasis. You ever notice that people who teach healing in their ministry and allow for it see healing in their ministry? <laughs> Why? Because they're emphasizing something. And so uh, 
one of the marks of the Reformation is that they were focused on, and, and, and I, I thank God for God's faithfulness to the body of Christ over the years. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, the body of Christ is just... Got all these things. It's so bad right now. And it's never been this bad. Actually, this is one of the greatest times to be alive, you know. Think about, think about if you, the only Christian representation in the earth, that you would go to a mass and you had no idea what they're saying because it was Latin. Even if you were in Portugal, wherever it was, it was Latin. And the priest didn't look at you. He wasn't tongues. And they told people, don't read the Bible. You can't understand it or you'll lose your mind. So you do when you want to keep people dumb. And the leader of the church is having adulteresses of, and God's hand is still keeping that whole thing together. And then this guy comes on the scene. People are complex. This guy comes on the scene called Martin Luther. A half of a verse starts a shift in the church. He's reading, he, he spends days trying to get born again. You know, and, and the shifts that's happened since that, the, what was the shift? The just shall live by faith. He realized. But I think they swung in such another direction because they had to defend this salvation thing. So they said, it can't, you know, man, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's all God. Only God can pick you. And we still got to work through some of that stuff today. So, you can only live out what's been emphasized to you. And so uh, this is part of the reason why I think uh, this sort of thing is, under, is really important. So what I'm going to talk <laughs> finally going to get there. I told, I told you uh, when I, I, I call it just talking, but apparently it was in the room uh, years ago, uh, I grew up around the things of God, and that can be really brilliant and then also cause you to need deliverance in certain things. But, uh, you know, because you just hopefully improve on every generation there. But at 18 years old, my whole life completely changed. It really did. It's no exaggeration. I had one encounter, like one encounter, one moment of surrender, my whole life changed. And uh, I just, I haven't stopped 26 years later. I, I, I can honestly tell you, I'm not saying I haven't made any mistakes, made lots of mistakes and all that fun stuff in the journey, but I have not backed down from wanting everything that God had for me. I've never regretted one moment of my life since that time, really have not. I've not regretted spending all Saturday night in service. I've not regretted driving six hours for a two-minute two prayer. I've not regretted going all in with God. People are like, what's it going to cost you? Everything. Big thing with tithing recently. Like, well, just give it off. You don't want to tithe, you know. <laughs> Most of you are not tithing anyway, so it's not going to bother you. So <laughs> that's not prophetic. That's just the data. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you know why money is such a big deal? Because it has an issue of heart. It's really what it is. That's why it's a big deal, especially with Americans. Anyway, that's a side point. But I asked the Lord, I said, what is going to allow me? I've been very fascinated with this subject since I was 18. I don't want to go 
well for a day. I don't want to go well for two days. I don't want to go well for a week. I don't want to go well for three weeks. Because since I grew up around the things of God, I would see people, especially Pentecostal, they get touched by the Lord and all this stuff. And then like, a year later, they're not doing so well. They've made some bad choices and stuff. I'm not saying you can't make bad choices. I, I, you know, God restores all that. I'm just saying, I just knew that, and I, you know, you have very well-meaning believers. You're like, well, just, you'll calm down in a few weeks. I haven't calmed down. I didn't, because I didn't, because here's the thing that's really important. Other people are not your standard. The word of God is. And most people who break into the things of God, they're not worried about the person next to them. Your life coach will tell you you need a balanced life. And God goes, give me all your life. No, I'm serious. You can't have it all. You only got one life to live. But the Lord, so I said, Lord, I I want to learn how to do this all the days of my life. And he he gave me uh, one phrase one day. I remember I was driving to a meeting. He said, kingdom of God. And that's all he said. And then I walked into this meeting and this, uh, to me, great theologian, I still, he, he has defined a lot of the lens even by which I uh, view scripture. Uh, Dr. Daniel Jesser stood up and he said, this morning, I'd like to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Oh. And often, it wasn't like God said, I want you to study this or anything, but God invites you into something. And it's your responsibility of how far you're going to go in that. So I just want to be, and we, this is such a vast subject, we won't get into it tonight, but I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God tonight. I call this kingdom 101. If you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew 13, 52. This is Jesus speaking. Every scribe and teacher of the law who has become a student of the ways of the kingdom of God is like the head of a household. Now notice there, every scribe and teacher of the law who has become a student of the ways of the kingdom of God is like the head of a household who brings some new things and some old things both out of the storeroom. So, and the reason I I set it up with that scripture there, what we're going to talk about is we're really just going to look at some things here in the book of Genesis because uh, to understand the kingdom of God and to begin to understand God's perspective, you have to understand what he established at the beginning of time. When Jesus comes and says, I came to seek and save that which was lost, uh, as I often heard, it taught that, well, he came to, for, for people's salvation, and that's partially true. But really, what he came is he came to reestablish and to reintroduce to humanity what God already intended in Genesis chapter 1. So many of the principles that you'll find and many of the things that God establishes in creation run through the theme of Scripture. And yes, he, he builds on the old. You cannot understand the nature of the kingdom of God, the nature of God, unless it's first established in the old. I'm not one of these people who believes that God was this angry, cursing God in the old and suddenly became kind. When Moses asked to see God, what does God tell him? I am good, I am kind, I am gracious. You even see the graciousness of God. It wasn't the full extent of God, but you see the graciousness of God in dealing with the nation. He says, I have set before you life and death, blessing 
and cursing. I know that, back, back to that whole little tithing thing for a minute. You know, people are like, don't tell me I'm cursed or anything. No, no, I, God, God cannot curse you. He doesn't have it to give you. He, he has no desire to curse you. What he's saying in that scripture is, if you, if you don't worship me in this way, the way you handle that area of your life is already cursed because this whole world system is cursed. So if you want to live on your own in that way, that's your choice. You can still go to heaven, never tithe your whole life. But if you're going to choose to live in your way, that way, that way is cursed. My way is always blessed. So give to me what belongs to me, and I'll assure that everything else you touch is blessed. He doesn't curse anyone. That's not, he's, not a get, he's not opposed to people. You know, I don't need to twist you to tell you that, you know. But the, 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 the point of that is that he, he builds precept upon precept. And, and to even understand, I believe, even what Paul is trying to articulate, which there's lots of different viewpoints, but you have to understand what God is establishing in the old. He's a, he is a kind, good God in the old, but he's leading to bring, introduce humanity to his very best in there. God is not schizophrenic. He's not this legalistic God in the old and then became kind and then you. He's always good. I am thankful I live in the New Testament, but, but sometimes, you know, anyway, sometimes people take that a, a, a really interesting way because in the old, you only got in trouble if you did it. In the new, if you think about it and it stays in there, you're in trouble. So we want to establish this, that he is, he is building, he, he is establishing on our understanding. So Genesis chapter one, first verse of the Bible. In the beginning or a better translation of saying that, because how many realize that God has no beginning and God has no end? So the best translation of that is actually, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. And it can be said of this, when time began, God came, God came to establish a kingdom, not a religion called Christianity. Really important. When time began, God came to establish a kingdom, not a religion called Christianity. So here's a, a really simple definition in the Bible definition of the kingdom of God. It is, the, it is the realm ruled by God. It is the realm ruled by God. And you'll also notice this, that God creates heaven and earth. It's really important here to our understanding. The kingdom of God is a creation of God himself. Very important. The reason that's going to be important is to this, is because the, God created the kingdom, you'll see in a minute, for his family to live in. The kingdom of God was supposed to rule the earth. So everything else that is origin in the heart of man, even democracy, even capitalism, all these systems fall short in what God originally intended for man. But it's important to also understand this. The, every human being, whether they realize it or not, and whether they submit to it or not, desires what's available in the kingdom. It can only be given that way. That's why you will even see things uh, or principles that operate even with unbelievers that, are, that are, have biblical ideas to them. The, the, the big thing is what they find most offensive, and, he, and Paul called it a foolishness, is the, the foolishness, the, the, the thing that they don't really like is there's only one way, and you are in need of a God, and you must submit to him. 
but you'll find this whole, you see it very popular in the marketplace, you know, positive thinking and start your life off and journal, you know, all these things that it's all in the Bible. They just don't want to put God to it. So the kingdom of God is a creation of God himself. And it is a place that we were always supposed to live from. So all of humanity longs for the kingdom of God. Since the kingdom of God originates with God, what God intends for humanity has no earthly origin. Really important right there. Since the kingdom of God originates with God, what God intends for humanity has no earthly origin. The reason I say that is because you'll see that as best as we've done, and I do think probably governmentally, democracy was the best way for people to live under, it still falls short of God's best for humanity. Human systems outside of God will always fall short in meeting the needs of humanity. The kingdom of God in creation expresses the nature and splendor of God. The kingdom of God in creation in both heaven on earth uh, expresses the nature and the splendor of God. You'll see Paul gives language to it. He says, Jesus came to bridge things both in heaven and on earth through Jesus. What he was saying is that one of the beauties of the body of Christ is that you actually are already on the earth, but you have now bridged heaven and earth, and you have the privilege of releasing the heaven on the earth right here, right now, as we say, in the south. The kingdom of God in creation expresses the nature and the splendor of God. Here's a verse that I have really enjoyed over the last month or so. Look at Romans chapter one. For since the creation of the world, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. If you don't like scripture, I don't know what you do with that. He's saying in, invisible, can't be seen, are seen. Invisible attributes are seen. So God, it makes sense though. God himself created the world through speaking. And when he spoke, he released himself into the atmosphere. And what he spoke was touched with glory and splendor. That's why the earth is so beautiful, even in this distorted state. And I want to suggest to you, because he created heaven and earth, you'll see here in a minute, there was no difference between heaven and earth, except they were different in expression, in a sense, but they both carried this splendor that released God. So it was touched with the glory of God. 